Let us pray. God, we are here with you in this most holy Lent, awaiting to see how you will teach us and mold us. Amen. Please be seated. This week when I was walking my dog, Laszlo, I noticed the crocuses and the snowdrops making their way into bloom. And as such, it inspired me to check the website of Anza Borrego Desert State Park, which sits west of San Diego, California. Now, the reason I did that is because when I lived out there, everybody knew that certain years there was enough rainfall for the desert to have what they call a super bloom. And the staff at the state park will post weather updates. It's the wildflower update on their website. And they will let you know if it's a super bloom year or not and what days to come out to the desert to experience the beauty. It's supposed to be on. Are you hearing me now? <laughs> Thank you for telling me. So I checked the website to get an update on whether or not the desert was having a super bloom year. Being from the West, that is what the desert is to me. It's a place in which there are extraordinary moments of unsurprising beauty. There's also the hesitancy around walking all over the place. And the reason for that is because there's a, there is a special biological crust that sits on the surface. And when you get off the trail and onto the crust, you destroy the tiny microorganisms that are growing there. In other words, the desert, in my experience, is teeming with life. However, for early Christians, the desert was haunted and a lifeless place. It was a place in which it was believed that demons took up residence. And the early desert fathers, the monks who left communities and went out to live in the middle of these deserts, were formed by daily battles with these Demons, And it was believed that the, in the process of doing battles that they would kick the demons out of being in residence in the desert. And it was these demons that kept the monks from focusing on the reason they were in the desert in the first place, which was to focus on God. According to Evagrius, who is a 4th century monastic, demonic temptations beset those who are seeking God. So purely by you and I seeking God every day, we also open ourselves up to temptation. Evagria says that demons attack monks through psychic obsessions or thoughts. And he was the one who first came up with what we call the eight deadly thoughts. Now, it may sound a little familiar because over time in the Christian tradition, those became the seven deadly sins. And indeed, you and I have seen books and plenty of films about the seven deadly sins. But we're beginning with the eight thoughts, so here they are. Gluttony, fornication, avarice, sadness, anger, listlessness or acedia, vainglory, and pride. Do any of you resemble any of those? 
I most certainly do. And we talked about these last week in our Sunday forum with Bonnie Hoffman Adams, and she asked us, she said, do you think it's possible to live a life without sin? Not a single one of us raised our hands. For indeed, in hearing this list, how is there any possible way that we could have a day without at least one of those creeping in to our mind? Now, for some of us, maybe we can claim that gluttony and avarice have never been a problem. That, that buffet, you never overeat at the buffet, even though other members of your family might. Or maybe you live a life of endless optimism and activity, so listlessness and, and sadness have never been something that you have struggled with. But each and every one of us have struggled with these eight deadly thoughts to some degree or another. And so I'd like to address one of them today. Maybe one that, that we don't think about as often as being a deadly thought. And Evagrius describes it as the noonday demon. It's the window of time in which this demon attacks is 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. First, it seems that the sun moves slowly or, or not even at all, and the day feels interminable, and the monk in his cell is longing for something, for time to move, but it's not and then the demon compels the monk to constantly look out the windows in hope, in hope of seeing the sun move, in hope that a brother from a neighboring cell just might be coming to visit, to alleviate the tedium. And then the demon instills a dislike for the place and his state of life. The cell becomes small and dull. It becomes unbearable. That His life seems to be going nowhere, and there is no one to console him. And from there, the demon leads the monk to desire other places that will meet his needs and a new trade that is easier and more productive. So no longer should he be a monk, he will find some other trade that is better and easier for his life. Sound familiar? This 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. window is the time when we get up to get another cup of coffee or succumb to the desire to nap in our couch, on our chair, on the desk, to surf the internet out of boredom. It's when we try to get up and walk around the block or pick up the phone or something to keep us focused on the day in which we feel that it will never end. It's the window in which we find ourselves longing to be somewhere else, with someone else doing something else. Sneaky boredom. Creeping its way in and diverting our mind. Maybe at the time it's from work, but overall it's what diverts us from our walk with God. And the more often we allow it to creep in, that we give it time, the more it will become the norm to allow ourselves to be distracted and derailed until we will never get anything done between 10 and 2 because we have given that time over to the demon 
to run. In our first reading, when the serpent tells Eve to eat that apple, the danger is not that Adam and Eve begin to know good and evil. The danger is that the serpent is showing that the serpent is being the arbiter of good and evil, that, that God should be the arbiter, and instead in the story, the serpent takes that role. And when we wrestle with these eight deadly thoughts and we start to see them come in and then we say, oh, they're not as bad as we think we are, just this once, I won't make a habit. We become an arbiter of good and evil, which is not our role to play because that is the role of God. And so when these deadly thoughts, these psychic obsessions enter in, and they often do it in moments that we least expect it. When they first make themselves known, we have an opportunity to name it and tell it to go. Because if we do not, that's when we crack that door open just a little and it becomes wider and wider through excusing and downplaying until it gains so much strength and power that we cannot resist it without God's help. Each year, we have often had an Addiction Sunday where we share stories of people of ourselves or in our community who wrestle with addiction of any kind. And years ago, I have a good friend who one day she emailed me and she asked for prayers. She asked for prayers to anchor her when those psychic obsessions that are pushing her addiction in a way that she cannot control. When they come in her mind, she needed an anchor in God. And so I went and I found verses of scripture for her to carry with her. And last year, she wrote me a note and said she still has them with her. They're in her purse, and she can pull them out at a moment's notice when those thoughts enter in. As we agreed last Sunday in our forum, we cannot live without sinning. And we know that these, these deadly thoughts will always be hovering around, waiting for that entry point like screw tape in, in with C.S. Lewis, sneaking around and trying to find a way to enter in. And so then the question becomes, what resources do we have? What practice can we begin to maintain a steadfast assurance in God when those thoughts tempt to claim us. And indeed, in Lent, which we often talk about as a time of fasting, of putting something aside, we also can pick up a practice to carry with us that will mold us and shape us as a desert. Fathers were shaped as they wrestled their own temptations and indeed as Jesus wrestled in our scripture this morning. And so I share with you a favorite prayer of mine. I've been quoting it often recently and I realize that for Lent it's time for me to commit 
to memorizing it until it is such a part of me that when I need it, I can recall any part of it in the moment in which I need that strength from God. And some of you have heard me quote this part of the prayer when we joke about having a day in which we're a little agitated, and I quote, God, preserve me from minding little stings or giving them. Ooh, when you get that zinger from someone and you desperately want to send it right back. Preserve me from minding and preserve me from responding back. This prayer is by Phillips Brooks, an Episcopal priest and a bishop. He was in our diocese for quite some time, and then he landed as the rector at Trinity Church in Boston and eventually was elected to the bishop there. Famous preacher, but you would know him mostly for the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, which he penned in 1868. He literally wrote it on a piece of paper and handed it to his music director and said, could you find a tune for this? And his music director said that he was scrambling within a couple days to put some tunes to paper. And he said, we never knew that we would sing it beyond that Sunday. And so the words of Phillips Brooks, this prayer that I am mentioning today is with you right now. Pick up your bulletin and turn to the very last inside page. Let us pray this together, and may you carry it with you as I carry mine. You are welcome to take it home. To ward off the psychic obsessions that approach us in the most mundane moments. O oh God, give me strength to live another day. Let me not turn coward before its difficulties or prove recreant to its duties. Let me not lose faith in other people. Keep me sweet and sound of heart in spite of ingratitude, treachery, or meanness. Preserve me from minding little stings or giving them. Help me to keep my heart clean and to live so honestly and fearlessly that no outward failure can dishearten me or take away the joy of conscious integrity. Open wide the eyes of my soul, that I may see good in all things. Grant me this day some new vision of thy truth. Inspire me with the spirit of joy and gladness, and make me the cup of strength to suffering souls. In the name of the strong deliverer, our only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>